You are listening to the Ghost Light Podcast, Season 1, Episode 2, Jeffrey Returns. Jeffrey returns to New Burbage for Oliver's funeral, while the festival's business manager, Richard Smith-Jones, aided by American Holly Day, scrambles to assume control. Jeffrey is surprised by a letter containing Oliver's last request. Meanwhile, aspiring actress Kate McNabb sneaks off to Toronto for a commercial audition and makes an unexpected connection on the bus ride home. to the ghost light podcast um i am your main host expert paul mackey and we have with us darcy zepernick hello and amy bowen hello and ben pfeiffer howdy all right uh how's everybody doing today pretty good i'm I'm a little oh sorry sorry we're talking over each other i'm excited to be here great uh, I'm a little bit on the tired side, but uh, I've, had, I've had a long couple of days, but I think we're going to be having some fun here tonight. Yep. Um, so I'd like to know first if anybody has any broad strokes opinions on the episode two. Uh, I like this episode way more than the first episode. Personally. Agreed. <laughs> yes, yes. I, I was actually, right when it started, I, I was very intrigued with the cold open. Yes. And as it progressed, I realized that, I don't know, this this really drew me into some of the characters, whereas the first show felt a little bit more cheesy, I guess. But this one actually had a little bit more depth to it. Yes, and uh, I, I, I will note that I... Uh I had said during the episode one recording that I thought that the pilot was more of a pilot and there was some retooling. It's, I'm not exactly sure that that's true anymore because I had forgotten that, that Luke the bartender does wake up with, uh, with Ellen uh, at the beginning of the episode. So he's, he doesn't disappear entirely, which is I kind of thought he had. I mean, obviously he moved along. I can't really tell the difference between him and Juana guy, but... <laughs> mm-hmm. Yeah, but you're right, Ben. It was a great... Really grabbing, really striking cold open. That mm-hmm. was really good. Well, why don't we get into our uh, episode uh, breakdown and we can discuss some of these things. Okay. So we open at the morgue where Richard is attempting to identify Oliver's corpse. <laughs> uh, <laughs> <laughs> now, Darcy, could you tell? It, it, can, it, I think Stephen we met is not actually bald and they had a bald cap on him. Could you, could you see anything like that or is he actually bald? You know, I, belie- I I couldn't tell for sure, but he did actually appear to be bald. Really? Yeah. Okay. I thought maybe his head looked ill-proportioned and that was because of a bald cap. You know, but- it's possible, but you should have asked me that when I was looking at it. Right. Yeah, okay. Okay. Uh, we've got the morgue attendant, and uh, that actor is actually named Boyd Banks. And uh, some of his credits include um, Due South... You know, crazy coincidence there. Uh, he was in the Jesse Ventura story. Uh, and he's also on uh, Wonderfalls. Jesse Ventura, really? Yes. Oh. The mayor. Yeah. The governor. Governor. The governor. Well, he was a mayor, and then he was a governor. He was a mayor. Was he a mayor? He was a mayor of, of... Brooklyn Center or Park. I can't remember which one. Oh, I thought it was Champlin. Oh, he could have been that. I don't know. One of those oh. right out there. Sure. And then he was the governor. Yeah. Yeah. 
He was also in Predator. Yes. 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 <laughs> and he also wore a bow at one point. He was a too. sexual triceratops. No, not triceratops. Trice. Tri. Tyrannosaurus. Oh. A sexual Tyrannosaurus. Interesting. Okay, that was one of his lines of Predator. Oh, okay. I thought I thought you were trying to I thought you were trying to say he was not tri- not not on his personal life or anything. Well, you yeah. never know. He's got a pretty pretty interesting persona. Uh, and then also the cop that is helping uh, assist in the identification process is uh, J.D. Nicholson. It's not really important. Uh, he was in uh, Due South as well at one point, and he was also in Iron Eagle 4, if I recall Mr. Stewart from last week's episode was also in Iron Eagle 4. It must have been shot in Canada. Mm-hmm. Okay, so um, from a vast array of choices of funeral parlors... Richard chooses the Mortimer Brothers. Did he choose it, or was he just uh, handed it? Well, pretty much uh, the the vast array of choices was the one. Right. Yep. Yeah, they do very good work. At, because the people at the morgue told him to go to them. Yeah, and it was he, a suggestion. They're very helpful. Um, and a note for Americans: when the Mortimer Brothers come in. And the uh, coroner says, my favorite bird, when they hand him a bill. Uh, the uh, money in Canada between 1986 and 2001 featured images of Canadian birds on the uh, backside of the bills. But we don't know which bird it was, do we? We don't know for sure. It was through 2001. Some of the denominations lasted longer than others when they phased them out in 2001. So at the time of this um, taping or, or uh, filming, it would probably either have to be the common loon on the twenty the snowy owl on the 50 or the Canada goose on the hundred. I'm kind of leaning that they probably paid him a, a snowy owl. A 50. I, I would, I would guess that as well, but that's what the favorite bird comment means. And it's a little mysterious if you don't know. Ah, okay. Thank you. Yeah. I, I actually, uh, I'm watching this now on, um, Amazon since Netflix discontinued it. Yeah. And, so the there is no closed captioning or subtitles on Amazon like there are on Netflix. So I tried to rewind it and I couldn't actually hear what he was saying. Oh. And I listened to it like three or four times, and I it guess makes, the bird never popped out. Yeah, it makes no sense if uh, if you're if you don't know what you're listening for. I suppose every time I heard President, I don't know why. <laughs> <laughs> and the DVD release, which is what I'm watching, as far as I can tell, doesn't have subtitles at all. Hmm. Um, it has uh, closed captioning if you open captioning on your television. Oh, okay. Thank you. There, there was no option for it in the DVD menu. Yeah, so. I didn't see. Yeah, we were watching on on my DVD set that I own, uh, but we have captioning open on the TV because it's usually loud around here. Mm-hmm. And I suppose it's an educational opportunity for the youth if they're happen, <laughs> if you happen to have it on during daycare. No, it's because I'm totally deaf in the right ear. <laughs> that does it too. <laughs> Uh, and then right at the end of the cold open, Oliver opens his eyes and moans. <laughs> what did everybody think about that? Were they all pretty clear that he was really, really, really dead and that something else was going on? No. No. <laughs> <Was> <laughs> like, <not> actually. <laughs> yeah, it, it, did, it was bizarre because you're like, oh, so is he going to like sit up now? Or yeah, I really, I really did think that for a second, so... I thought that for the next 15 minutes until we got to a later, the later scene with Jeffrey at the funeral home's visiting hours, which we'll talk about later. Yes, I well, thought... Oh. Well, actually, no. 
at the very end of the cold open, I thought, oh, crap, they've misidentified him and he actually survived that. But then when they got to the preparation scenes, I got, no, no. After all that, he very definitely really is dead. Yes. Yeah, I had kind of the same reaction. That's why I really liked the cold open is because, like, at the end of the last episode, it was unclear as to whether or not he died or not. And when they start in the very beginning, Mark McKinney's there to identify him. So I was like, okay, well, he's dead. Then he opens up the curtain or whatever, and he says that's not him. So then I'm like, oh, then he survived. And then they do the bald trick. And I was like, okay, so now he's dead. And then they roll him past, and his eyes open. I was like, okay, well, now what the fuck's going on? <laughs> and it wasn't until they started embalming him that I was like, okay, he's for real dead. And this is just, you know, a surreal type of uh, offshoot or whatever. Right. Yep. That's what I thought. <laughs> well, I'm going to table talking about the uh, Mortimer brothers until we get a little further along here. But we'll move on to the next scene. Uh, after the credits, Richard is on his cell phone with Holly Day, and two things are becoming rapidly obvious. Holly is very quick to become familiar with Richard, and she is a bit of a cutthroat. The devil. That's what they say. Yes. Well, the show must go on, though, Paul. It is true. I was I was surprised <laughs> that they uh, they. Well, I guess it was Monday was the funeral, so that Monday was the funeral. Yes, but so they would have been in the dark. But but this is clearly the the very next morning, and she's already calling him sweetie, and uh, they've most likely had some manner of relations overnight. I'm assuming. Ah, see, I thought you meant the fact that she was kind of pushy to get the ball rolling to have. Uh... Oh, yeah, the that's theater continue. And that is what I meant by cut, cutthroat, where she okay. was like, you know, because, I mean, she said things like, uh, are there any relatives? And he said, you know, when he said no, she was like, that's good for you, because you don't right. have to deal with that. And, uh, what did you think about how uh, how close she and Richard have gotten so quickly? Um, it, I think it's pretty obvious she has very ulterior motives. Uh, it Especially later on, um, when we get to some of the boardroom scenes, some of that, a little bit of light is shed on that. And that she's obviously using Richard as a pawn to, you know, step herself up. Yeah, I thought it was obvious enough that I probably, you know, it's not like I'm making leading questions here. I'm pretty sure it's a... <laughs> what, do you, what, do you, what do you think of Holly Day at this point, uh, Amy? Um... She's an interesting character. Ben has a good point about about what she's ha- possibly having an ulterior motive in trying to improve her own position, although I honestly hadn't thought of that. I I didn't take many notes on her, I guess, because she's not my favorite character, and I don't take much notice or interest in what she's doing. I take a lot more interest in Richard and Kate. And also Ellen. Mm. So I don't really have anything in particular to say. Oh, oh, wait, yes, Yes. I do. I get the impression that she's going to be the antagonist, or at least the main one, or at least the one who's closest to the main characters. She's probably going to be the embodiment and representative of money and corporate greed and all that stuff that isn't doing it for the art, to go back to the theme that we were talking about in our first episode. 
That's just a prediction. And uh, somewhat related to um, the art versus money uh, debate, the next scene is Kate on her way to Toronto for a commercial audition instead of going to rehearsals and uh, yep. and, and uh, being ready for the early parts of uh, a preparation for the show. Um, and she and Claire d- discuss the dilemma of going for this audition. Yep, I love that. A great source of conflict. And it's an even bigger source of conflict when she finds out she got the part later on. Yes. Um, so then we see some scenes uh, with the uh, hearse moving through near Burbage. And uh, Richard and Anna in a long shot, uh, the, you know, without sound, although you could hear the uh, vacuum cleaner. <laughs> and um, then we go back to the uh, Mortimer Brothers funeral home with some more preparations. And uh, I'm still going to wait for a little bit before I talk about the Mortimer Brothers themselves. <laughs> uh, so the next actual substantial scene is, uh, Kate, uh, is, uh, Kate, is uh, Richard. Canceling his uh, tooth whitening appointment <laughs> and uh, informing Ellen. Mm-hmm. And Ellen uh, probably kicks Luke, the bartender, out of bed. Yeah, and she does that uh, sudden shift in emotion that I find super annoying, where she just automatically goes off on somebody and then apologizes. Yeah, like, the she, first- did that, she did that like three or four times in the first episode. I think this is the only time she does it in this episode. But, uh, I mean, I like her character and everything. Just that one trait gets underneath my skin. Oh, yeah. Dur- during the first episode, I was going to make the joke of that I tried to invite her to get on the podcast, and she replied that she was sorry she couldn't make it. <laughs> 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 but, uh, anywho. Yeah. I, I don't know. She, um, Again, with the uh, the the polarity of her response and and how quickly it, it turns is is it she's truly an actress in you know an actress being an actress of course but uh, because that's that's what they do they they show their real emotions and they they hide it up that's what they do all right you love actors <laughs> um actually. Mm, I, w- I wouldn't go with love. love. Love's probably not the... I, I do respect. Do respect. Okay. Respect is good. Mm-hmm. Healthy respect. Um, so then we get to another scene with the Mortimer brothers. And Darcy was disturbed a bit by the fact that they were using a toilet as a drain for their, uh, for their embalming table. Because that's not how you're supposed to do it. Well, Yeah, I imagine that's... Ex- like super unsanitary to just flush human waste. Well, flush human waste, but I'll, uh, like I don't know. What they, that's bodily fluids are are hazardous, and yeah, you don't. They have to be contained, and they're removed by you know particular uh, biohazard companies. That yeah, that that totally. I was yeah made me wiggle in my seat. When, when I first saw the scene, I thought maybe it only kind of looked like a toilet. But when it was yeah. when it when it was clearly a toilet and a cramped room, I was I was thinking that probably they didn't get a set that uh, was a big enough room, and you know the, they they may have tried to contact actual mortuaries to film there or something like that. Um, but the back rooms of mortuaries are tend to tend to be a little bit more on the private side, and they're not going to let people just go back there with cameras. So I think they were probably shooting in a largish bathroom. It, that's that is a possibility, Paul. But they, I think that they were actually trying to make the point of they were doing it wrong. Do you think that's possible? I don't think so. Okay. 
No, I, yeah, I got the, the impression that these guys were pretty professional and took pride in their work, with the exception of something that happens later on. Uh, <laughs> but if I remember from watching Six Feet Under, like they collect all that stuff in a drain, and then they have to have it taken away. It's you a know, big bio, take. Biohazard. Yeah, it is, and it's. My my grandfather was was uh, a mortician, and my uncle after him, and so mm. yeah, we my my first experience with the uh, with the funeral parlor was uh, my my grandpa brought me in there, and he was like, oh, we're gonna go through here. And he's like, no, wait, and he turned off the light, and then he led me through a dark room, <laughs> and then he turned it back on when we left. So. <laughs> that was. So you that was, walked by hundreds of dead bodies. Who knows what we walked by? It, it was. <laughs> I, I'm still terrified thinking of it to this day. So there you go. You probably did walk by dead bodies. I'm sure. I'm sure I did. At least one. At least. At least one, if not a couple. So. Hmm. My that's nicer manners than the people at a fu- funeral home mortuary that. I heard stories about when I used to work at my previous company in California, we did IT and network and general technical stuff management for companies, one of which happened to be a mortuary. And I'm going to repeat one of the stories that I heard one of the field technicians tell, that in order to get to somebody's computer at one point, he had to walk by a dead body in a hallway. Hmm. And... It was it was covered with a sheet, but it had but I think it might have had like a hand sticking out or something. <laughs> or that might have been just my imagination. But that was one of the places where just being in there freaked these poor people out so much. <laughs> and the about the toilet thing, I I decided I immediately just took it as a visual gag, as something that was supposed to be funny. Oh, that could be it. There they're flushing. Be. They're literally flushing him down the toilet. <laughs> <laughs> All right, and we continue on with, the, with this uh, actually very montage-heavy first act. Um, Richard and Anna deal with informing everyone, uh, and the uh, Mortimers continue working. And then Richard and Holly continue to make plans. Mostly Holly, making you know, leading the way. Um, and then um, Kate arrives to her audition, and um, trying to figure out if it, if the actual audition. Okay, so oh yeah, okay, that's coming up on the next page. Okay, but she arrives to the audition, and and you know is there with three other actresses that are all looking more or less the same in a tracksuit and <laughs> with their with their sides in their hand, um, and. Uh, Richard gets into Oliver's office, and it turns out that Jack Crew, famous movie star actor, is arriving today. And uh, then uh, Anna wants to make sure that Jeffrey is told uh, in person by, by a person before hearing the news of Oliver's death on the news. So did we did we skip the audition? The audition comes oh, up uh, a little bit later. Yep, yeah, yep. yep. I was, it comes back. I was double-checking that. Um, so after, uh, after the scene in the office, then we're back to the Mortimer brothers and we actually get, uh, we actually get to hear them a little bit, uh, speaking to each other. And here's where I'll go ahead and tell you about the performers at least. Um, 
Sal Mortimer, or the uh, the big guy, uh, has, actually hasn't done a whole lot of other film and television, but lots of theater in a lot of places, including a lot of plays somewhere in particular that I bet you can guess. Stratford. The Stratford Festival. <gasps> surprising. Surprising, isn't it? Shocking and surprising. Then Reg Mortimer, the smaller one, is played by Julian Richings, and apparently he does um, a lot of death and... and uh, Sci-fi and fantasy roles. Yeah, I uh, recognize him for sure. I've most recent, yeah, most recently he was in Hemlock Grove. Oh, um, and he has also been on uh, Supernatural, Lost Girl, Forever Night, and he was on Due South once. Hmm. Hmm. Um, but he's done. He's actually played uh, the character of Death a fair amount. He was the River Sticks ferryman in the first uh, Perry, Percy Jackson movie. Um, and he was—he played Death in uh, a show called Dave vs. Death, which I think was a Canadian show. And that he was also—he uh, also played Death on Supernatural, hmm. which uh, you know, because of my previous podcast, I suppose I wouldn't have liked to have known. But I don't think the Idiot Cast is coming back, so <laughs> I was the newbie on the Idiot Cast for Supernatural. Oh, is that Supernatural? Mm-hmm. Yeah, to circle back to—he was on Hemlock Grove. Is that what you said? That's what they said. Have you it guys is. had any of you all seen that? I haven't. Yet. That's one of the Netflix ones, right? It okay. is. It is. Yeah, I just noticed they put a new one up because I guess uh, I guess they're gonna do that. Like, not to take away from Slings and Arrows, but to, they're, I guess they're gonna do that like every month or so because uh, I mean it's been about a month since Arrested came out, and yeah. now they have a brand new one called I forget what it's called, like something about being in prison or something, but. Hmm. Uh, but no, I, I was just wondering. I, I didn't see uh, Hemlock Grove or Lily Hammer, but anyways, sidetrack. Yes. <laughs> so these two dudes, uh, these two dudes, talk about Oliver's career briefly and uh, and uh, quote uh, some Shakespeare. To uh, they, they 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 seem like later on they seem like uh, fairly avid theater goers, but uh, <laughs> yeah, but, <laughs> they missed uh, a pretty big line. Yeah, they did. <laughs> Sal was a little confused on uh, on who was uh, who was uh, speaking the quote. Right. <laughs> that, that, that that it was a quote. You have such cu- a way with words. Yes. Out of curiosity, to go back to yeah. these two dudes and back to the cold open. Mm-hmm. Is it just me, or does everyone or every man in this show have crazy hair? Like the the morticians, both of them have crazy hair. Uh, Mark McKinney has just odd, like, a weird part or something. Uh, they made the joke about um, Oliver not having hair. Uh, Jeffrey yeah, has... Jeffrey I mean, has... it's 2003, so it's when that, like, shag was really popular, so maybe that's it. It just looks odd in 2013, you know, on these men that are all over 40. I don't know. Has anybody else picked on that? Like, the, the guy's hair in this, sh- in this show are always, always weird. Well, generally, if you are an actor, your hair is not your own. So I kind of, I guessing that uh, the hair makeup designers are, because uh, you let your hair grow until you are getting ready to do your show. So I was kind of going with that, especially you know with the creative types, and uh, Richard being the the only one who would probably not. Not, yeah, who would be in charge of yeah, his own he hair? Yeah, he would go get his own haircut. But that's kind of what I was thinking. Yeah, okay. so act, yeah, actor performers, if they're not 
currently in a role, but they're preparing for a role. They'll let it grow out and then let the uh, the hair department um, figure out, you know, order order a particular haircut for you or or, or do a particular haircut if they're that they will that level yeah, of talent. If it's a if it's a if it's um you know like Guthrie, they have their own style. Hair so. actual hairdressers mm-hmm. that cut and everything. Yep, interesting. Uh, but yeah, I thought I kind of think. Uh, Despite his pro- protestations to the contrary, I kind of think Jeffrey kind of has the madman hair going because obviously he's not 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 mad men. <laughs> yeah. <Very laughs> That's different. another thing. Very altogether. different. But it's... but yeah, I think he's he's got the madman hair going. Uh, obviously, he's not uh, preparing for a role. Well, he probably can't afford to get his hair cut. Yeah, that too. Oh, I've been there. Um. So after the Mortimer scene, uh, Richard and Anna are preparing for the press conference. Oh, wait, real quick. In between this scene and, I guess, them preparing for the, the conference, yes. I don't know if, if it happens on the DVDs, but on my copy on Amazon, there's like a title card that flashes up in between those two scenes, and I, I rewound it two or three times to try and freeze frame on it, and it looks like it just says slings and arrows. Yeah, it's kind of that kind of sounds like uh, when Amazon got the raw tapes and we're, we're you know... Ingesting, they probably accidentally they missed a header or a footer or something. Yeah. Okay. All right. So that's totally. Uh, I figured that was something like that. I was like, I don't think because for a second when it happened, I thought they were trying to Fight Club it. You know, how, like <laughs> yeah. in Fight Club, like Tyler Durden would show up in the beginning and then later on it would be something. Yeah, exactly. But okay, it's just bad I, processing. I think, yeah, I think it was. Uh, I've got we've got the uh, series of uh, DVDs that we do every uh, every couple of months for I think it's Ralph Lauren or maybe Aveda mm-hmm. and they always have all of these DVDs they always have the two pop at the beginning of every seg- every segment <laughs> and for some reason they never encode Weird. out the yeah anyways um, okay so Richard and Anna prepare for the press conference and Richard is just about human for a second but then he remembers that Jack Crew is coming to town and that that blitzes that out <laughs> But he's still there for her and everyone. Right. Yeah, you could say that to people. <laughs> <laughs> the lips are talking, but yeah. Yeah, the heart's not beating. Exactly. Mm-hmm. Um, the yeah. press conference is fairly uneventful. We get a little bit of a a comic take and a couple of lines from Basil. <laughs> I love is Basil. Him. Sean Cullen Sean is my Cullen. favorite yes. by far. Like, I love him. He has, like, one line in this, but he steals that entire scene with facial expressions and body movements. Like, and I've seen him do other stuff before, and that's just the way he is. He is awesome. I I really hope they put more of him into the show in future episodes. Yes, I'm I'm sure that the credit goes to both him and the editors for getting the timing exquisitely perfect for their sandwiches. (laughs) That was so funny. That was a great scene. That was so. The clever part was was alcohol a factor in the the? (laughs) We know that the driver was was not under the influence. (laughs) I like that. Very well put. I'm not going to explain the joke, but yes, yes, (laughs) very, very well put. (laughs) Um, we get a little bit of a scene with the uh, with the. with Jeffrey and his uh, stage manager from the uh, the previous theater company, the Theater Saint Sargent, and she's talking about all of the offers they got off of uh, off of Jeffrey's stunt the previous mm-hmm. night, chaining himself to the theater. I just realized something. 
Hmm. That uh, what's gonna become of her? Yeah, we'll, we'll, we'll find out, I guess. Yes, you'll find out. I suppose. I, <laughs> I as a as, as the uh, as the expert and host, I suppose I'm supposed to say nothing. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> as oh. as it, as introcast that was, etiquette that was kind goes. Kind of rhetorical, I guess. Then. Yes, indeed. Uh, so anyway, she's reciting all these offers that Jeffrey is, of course, distracted and uh, needs to return a book. Mm-hmm. Um, next scene is, uh, is actually Kate at the audition. And she uh, doesn't necessarily go real well. <laughs> she uh, did, she uh, kicks the ball and it... Uh, it <laughs> Pretty much takes out that uh, expensive-looking camera. I, I couldn't. I wasn't looking very carefully at it, but I'm sure it was meant to look very, very yeah. valuable. Oh, okay. Mm-hmm. <laughs> um, and uh, the the actress. Well, I say actress. The casting director in that scene. It's a it's a deep, deep in joke because she's. I don't know if she would do a commercial casting, but she is a casting director named Karen Hazard in Canada. Oh wow! Does she and cast for the East Stratford Festival? Uh, no, she casts for movies and television shows. Oh, so um, there were there were a lot of credits on there. Um, the one that stood out for me the most was that she was casting director on a certain Bob Camp film classic, featuring uh, Peter Billingsley and Darren McGavin. No way! Called A Christmas Story. Oh, oh my gosh! Well, wow. Shut your eye out, you know. But you know, like like I said, it's it's a fairly deep in joke because I don't know how many people that are just happen to be casually watching this are going to recognize a ca- a casting director by looking at her. That's right. You never know what they look like. If you're an Is actor it? in Toronto, you probably would. Yeah, all oh, the right. all the actors watching the show are probably very very familiar with her. You you would have uh, run into her, no doubt. And I wonder whether that was completely in character for her if she was playing up some of the traits of casting directors. <laughs> yeah, who knows? I'm sure she'd be completely capable in either either way. Uh, next up, uh, Ellen has some more flowers delivered. <laughs> and uh, meets Sloan, the delivery guy. And uh, he... Uh, he chides her gently for uh, not taking very good care of her chameleon, which was a gift mm-hmm. from Oliver. Mm-hmm. I love chameleons. They're so sweet. And uh, I, I also, another Canadian currency note for those not completely in the know, um, when she goes to tip him and brings back coins, she's not being a cheapskate necessarily, because uh, in Canada they're both... Um, they phased out their paper money for both their $1 and $2 bill, and the $2 bill was actually very common in Canada. Uh, but the paper money for both of those is completely gone, and they're replaced by a, uh, a gold-colored dollar coin affectionately called the loony because it does have a common loon on one side. And then a $2 coin, which they dubbed somehow the toonie <laughs> because it was another coin, and it was a two. I wonder if they... Uh, Canada still... Connected to England, right? They're still connected. Uh, they like, do they have a chair in Parliament or whatever? I believe they do have a seat in Parliament. They're uh, they're a Commonwealth. Um, what, yeah, called a Commonwealth country. Are they People? what we kind of consider like a territory? It's Would a that little be bit equivalent. Uh, it's not quite equivalent. Um, they they still uh, pretty much have their own sovereignty, although they respect the Queen and the uh, 
and the and the British uh, politics. Uh, so like, it's kind of like Scotland or Northern Ireland. Yes, it's a, it's it's probably uh, it's probably most even, even looser than that. Yeah, I'd say it's looser than that. I mean, I think it's it's most closely to what Scotland wants to be. Right. Mm. I mean, I think Scotland wants to be Canada. Well, I, I just bring words. this up because I know that uh, England did the same thing with their money. Or at least uh, when I went there most recently, all of my pounds were in one or two dollar coins or one or two pound coins. Oh, uh, this is news then. to me. I have not been there in a very long time. I knew about the loonies and toonies, of course, but <laughs> I did not know that England had done that. Hmm. Huh. Yeah, as far as I can remember, there may I could be false on that. I just remember when I came home, all of my uh, ones and twos were in coin form, and then like five and beyond were actual paper quids. But yeah, I seem to remember that too. Hmm. That was a really long time ago for me. So I see. But uh, or I could be getting confused too with France. So I don't know. Uh, so back to Celine's narrows. Although Canadian culture is a big part of it. Um, let's see, uh, Sloan. The actor is Matt, Fitz, uh, Matt Fitzgerald. Um, he has a total of four credits on IMDb, hmm. uh, one of which is Slings and Arrows. Um, he was also in a movie called Blindness, which uh, was actually, I, I, I've, I've not heard of it, but it did have Mark Ruffalo and Julianne Moore in it as well. Oh, wow. Um, and then that movie also had a fair number of Slings and Arrows connections. Susan Coyne was in it. Uh, Niv Fickman, who is the Slings and Arrows executive producer, was a performer in that movie. Martha Burns was in that movie. And uh, Don McKellar, who has not yet appeared on screen in Slings and Arrows, um, is, al- is also in that movie and wrote it. Or wrote the screenplay. And it's not the Slings and Arrows movie, right? It's like, not a Slings and Arrows movie. Firewalk no. with Me was a Twin Peaks movie? No, it's not Firewalk <laughs> with Me. Okay. But definitely a lot of connections. Uh, I assume that uh, I actually neglected to look at exactly what year it was, but I'm pretty sh- it's pretty clear that they all met each other and knew each other from working on Slings and Arrows mm-hmm. and then moved on to uh, to work on the this blindness. particular. Very cool. So, next up, uh, Kate is returning from her audition. She meets a guy on the bus, and he is later reviewed, re- uh, revealed to be Jack Crew. She meets a scary guy on the bus. You think he's scary All, on the bus? Well, when he when she sits down next to him, I was like, "Oh, so there's, he's the drug dealer." I thought I didn't realize that he was like a actor in disguise. Nor did I realize that that is the guy that uh, Mark McKinney had been talking about the whole time. For some reason, I had whatever Mark McKinney was talking about as like an older gentleman. Yeah, that's what I thought too. I'm. Glad to hear that you were just as confused as I was. Like, once they reveal it, and we'll get to it, but once they reveal it at the end, I was like, oh, oh, well, oh, okay. <laughs> yeah, so I, I think in the first episode they do say that he's playing Hamlet, and, it, it, you know, generally speaking, in terms of whenever I see Hamlet portrayed, he's never young enough. No. He's never right. as young as a character is really meant to be. Oh, yeah. really? Whenever I have no I've idea. Seen that it. was the thing either. I thought, I mean, my Hamlet is. Mel Gibson and Ethan Hawke, so I thought he was supposed to be maybe in his late twenties. But you're saying he's Hamlet's supposed to be a teenager? Absolutely. Yes. 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 Oh, Hamlet, really? should, Hamlet should be at at the at maximum like twenty four, maybe. 
I was, wow, I was that kind of changes like, my whole perspective of that very book. Very early 20s. That I've so. never read. But, but like I said, I, you never, ever see him. This, this is probably the youngest Hamlet that I've ever seen portrayed anywhere. All right, well, I want to bring something else up about how theaters work. Sure. Like, the last episode, they premiered Midsummer Night's Dream, right? Mm-hmm. Right. And in this episode, which is the next day, they are starting work on Hamlet? That's correct. Mm-hmm. So while, I mean, one, a, a, a particular run lasts longer than just one night, right? That's correct. Uh, when, so while they're doing the run, are they preparing, I guess, for the next one at the same time? Concurrent? That is correct. When you're with, uh, This particular theater company is producing it in uh, what is called in repertory. And in repertory, in repertory theater, it basically means that you have at least two productions in various stages. You're, usually not, you're not usually opening them the back-to-back or anything like that normally, although it can happen that way. Mm. Montana Shakespeare in the Parks is, is one where they definitely they are... They do it a little differently. They do have a staggered release a little bit? A little bit, because, well, everybody, it's such a small cast. Yeah, so they, they really have, have to. to. But, uh, like, Guthrie has huge casts, so they actually they stack them. Yeah. Right up against each other. And the the role of artistic director, that is what I, being a layman, would be the director of the play? Not no. always, no. no. Artistic okay. director is, is above the director of the play, typically. Right, so and like, sometimes oh, the artistic director... The artistic director usually takes, like, one show a year. But that's, that's it. And otherwise, they do come in and they'll do notes and, uh, you know, give, give their advice. But it's... Yeah. Okay, so there are two people, like, when we're doing this, uh, I forget what you call it, you call it repertoire, Paul? Repertory. 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 Okay, so while that's happening, it's two different directors doing those plays, and then the artistic directors overseeing them both. Correct. Yes, of course, in this... And preparing for the third one down the line. Yes. Of course, in this case, um, it looks like uh, Oliver was intending to direct both The Dream and Hamlet. Of course, I suppose he would be... uh, I, I, I assume, just knowing knowing Oliver, that he would not have allowed anyone else to touch Hamlet, <laughs> considering his uh, his reputation with that that show. Right. Mm-hmm. Um, Everybody's going to touch him. So. <laughs> <laughs> um, so anyway, back to um, Luke Kirby. Luke Kirby is the actor who plays Jack Crew, and he's I mean he's briefly met he briefly seen. He's actually. You know, it, Completely truthful on the bus. She says, what do you do? And he says, I'm a movie star. Mm -hmm. And it's true. Um, But Luke Kirby, the actor, uh, most notably, he was a major character in um, Take This Waltz, which is, uh, he was performing alongside uh, Seth Rogen and Michelle Williams, Sarah Silverman. Um, It was directed by Sarah Pauly. Oh, lots of connections. Um, Sarah Polly is Michael Polly's kid, or kind of. Pseudo kid, yes. Um, yeah, actually, uh, uh, Steph in her voicemail last week mentioned Luke Kirby and Take This Waltz. Uh, Steph and apparently her. didn't care for Take This Waltz, but, but thinks he's cuddly. <laughs> <laughs> Sorry, Steph, I'm paraphrasing. <laughs> uh, but he's also done a lot of television, uh, a lot of recent television. He's, uh, he's been on Blue Bloods, um, Person of Interest. Uh, Law and Order SVU, and he was in an episode of Elementary called Rat Race, which I think is the last one that the uh, Elementary podcast on Quadruple Z Network uh, has discussed to date. Little plug in for Tabs' show there. Yeah. 
And my note on the next page is me saying that. I forgot to. <laughs> forgot I wrote it down here. Another fine podcast on Quadruple Z Network. <laughs> you all ever watched Elementary? I haven't no. actually seen it. Yeah, that's yeah. the Johnny Lee Miller and Lisa Lou. Lisa Lou? That's Lucy right. Lou. Lucy uh, Lou. I think it's Lucy. Yeah. yeah. Yeah, Lucy Lou. That's their version of Sherlock, right? Yeah. Mm-hmm. And I think aside from the scarf, uh, according to what I read, aside from the scarf that he wears and the way that he wears his scarf, they do, do they make a conscious effort not to reproduce anything that was done on Sherlock. Hmm. Hmm. Um, well, that's about that. I, <laughs> I could go further into another tangent, but I won't. That tangent thought makes me think of another tangent. <laughs> <laughs> don't chase the rabbit. Don't chase the rabbit. Oh, I will just briefly. I was I was on Potential Cast uh, most recently, and uh, the tangents. I, I, I'm really curious to see how how Illyrio cuts that down, or if he cuts it down, because we went on so many tangents that seemed to go nowhere, like this one. Okay. <laughs> and the cops came. There was a big shootout, and everybody died. Yeah. Okay, so El, um, next, Ellen converses more with Sloane in the uh, bathroom mm-hmm. and uh, does her best uh, Mrs. Robinson impression. Uh, I think she does it fairly well. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. Um, and Kate arrives back at the theater, uh, which is, uh, is deserted, and she finds out the news from Naum what happened. And she's, uh, I don't know, I don't think of her as self-centered, but it definitely is depicting her as such in this particular <laughs> scene. Or just really, really, really concerned about acting and yes. her acting career and the things she's been doing today. But yes, that was a funny moment. Mm-hmm. Yeah, I don't think that she's self-centered either. I think that she was very worked up about being late or whatever, yes. missing rehearsal, that... Mm-hmm. That was still fresh on her mind when he said that it was canceled. And then uh, when it sunk in that it was because Oliver had died, then, then she had a, a genuine reaction. Mm-hmm. Yeah, so, I agree. I, yeah, I, I think that she's, I don't know if naive is the right word, but she is uh, not... I don't know, backstabbing. I don't know what I, I'm trying to say. I go with she's innocent. naive she's and innocent. innocent. Yeah, yeah. Mm-hmm. there you go. Yeah, that's what I wrote in my notes. I wrote something like, I love Kate. She's so mm-hmm. adorable. You just want to give her a hug. Adorable is so. a great word, yes. Hmm. And, uh, and then uh, we get another uh, a scene without much audio or dialogue. We've got uh, Anna finding the letter from Oliver and reading <laughs> that. <laughs> I oh, love the music man. and the, more, and the more yeah, facial the, expressions and the score. Yeah. The score was the score was, was awesome. wonderful. The mm-hmm. music was sort of upbeat, and then suddenly these off chords come in right at the end as she's reading it. Mm-hmm. <laughs> that was brilliant. But we don't know exactly what's in that letter; just that it's fairly disturbing. Yes. Mm-hmm. <laughs> Although I I had a feeling. Yeah, you had a feeling. I did. Oh, okay. Um, so, uh, next we get a meeting with the board. Uh, Holly's there drumming up support for Richard. And, uh, May Silverstone does not necessarily seem to, uh, trust her. 
she kind of tests her with a with a question about the uh, the painting at the uh, at the Carnegie in Pittsburgh. Mm-hmm. Now is this the first time we see May Silverstone? Was she in the um, first episode? Yeah, she was in the first episode. Of, she she uh, kicked off the uh, kicked off the uh, uh, reception at oh, the uh, yeah. before the before the speech with the uh, the middle manager and everything. Right, right. Um, but I I did not actually mention her um, performance in that first episode or, or her the, the actress. Um, her name is Marsha Bennett. And I think where people would most frequently have seen her, she played a fourth grade teacher in Billy Madison. Hmm. But I haven't really seen Billy Madison, so I wouldn't know. Yeah, I haven't seen it since it probably came out. I know there's uh, a penguin in it. Okay. <laughs> More recently, she was also in Mr. Megorium's Wonder Emporium, um, Red, and she had a performance on Warehouse 13 somewhere. I don't know hmm. where. And then the other note that I have, actually, is the uh, the painting she refers to at the, the Carnegie Museum in Pittsburgh. I looked up, the Plain of Auvers. I actually, you know, I mean, I, I think, I think the, the show goes to great lengths to show that Holly has no clue what this painting is and, and, you know, really never gave a thought to it. But personally, you know, even though she's full of shit, I do I tend to side with her a little bit. It, it's, it is, I looked it up. Looked at the painting. It is true that he painted it four days before he shot himself. But aside from that, I thought it was a nice landscape. Oh, it's it's, it's interesting because it's um, a field, right? And he yeah. walked into a field and shot himself in the stomach. I don't know if you ever uh, if you know about his death, but it's kind of kind of one of those conspiracy theories as to whether or not he really did kill himself or if he was murdered or. But it was in the middle of a field, like four miles out, out of, outside of town, which is what this picture kind of looks like. Yeah, it's a it's a disturbing story. But I thought, you know, I never found the the picture to be disturbing per se. No, I think it's really pretty too. Uh, but anyway, so she uses that as a as a sort of test to find out if if, if Holly's, you know, really. I, I'm not sure if she doesn't believe that she was really at the Pittsburgh uh, Carnegie. During that time, or whether she doesn't believe, uh, I'm not sure what she doesn't believe exactly, but you can tell she kind of smells something. Well, she wanted to see if she was a brown nose. Yes, perhaps that's it. Um, the uh, Mortimers are all prepared for the viewing now. Uh, Anna goes to talk to them about, uh, well, something, which she does not get out. And uh, then the next scene is uh, Kate and Claire talking about. Uh, about the commercial audition, and then Kate finds out that she actually got the part. And so Kate and Claire are roommates? Yes. Okay. That was at their apartment or whatever, yeah. And uh, so we get a little bit more of the the art versus commerce. Uh, you know, Kate wants to be respectful to the, uh, to the theater and the show, and Claire's like, come on, it's a, it's a big paycheck. National commercial <laughs> spots are, uh, are bank. And publicity, mm-hmm. it wasn't just about the paycheck either, it was about the publicity and the exposure she would get. That would get her in front of people who would see, who would get to see her and might lead to more work. So it was about become, a possibility of becoming famous versus being with her, quote, family, which I think someone on the show said the theater was like a family. Yeah, I believe that was Claire. <laughs> yeah, that was a good dramatic conflict there. 
Um, so Jeffrey goes to the viewing and uh, places the uh, copy of Hamlet on Oliver's chest, and then things take a turn for the odd. Yep. It took me a second to figure out what was going on, and then I figured out, okay, uh, the line, is this crazy or do you hear voices all the time? <laughs> Which makes, yeah, it, makes it clear that this is in, in Jeffrey's imagination. Yeah, do, we, do we have a connection or is this a crazy thing? Yes. Mm-hmm. And anybody have, a, have an opinion to float on this? Oh, he's crazy. <laughs> <laughs> he is off his nut. That's my opinion. Well, if I, do yeah. have an, I actually do have an opinion. If this becomes a regular feature of the show, I'm absolutely on board with this, and I love, I love this element of the character being part of someone's imagination only interacts with that one character um, because they're either imaginary and or a hallucination. That was, I don't know if any of you guys watched House, but that was my favorite story arc on House. I, you don't know what I'm talking about. No, no, no I forgot. Not from House, but um, on Six Feet Under, that was that happened every single episode. There'd be oh my gosh, and, it, <laughs> and like that person would come back in some way or form and interact with one of the uh, the characters. I'm wondering if that's going to continue in this, or if that was just kind of a nod to since this is the. I don't know if this is the Hamlet episode, but it is a Hamlet-centric episode, and they, I know there are a lot of ghosts in Hamlet, so I wonder mm-hmm. if that was just kind of like a reference to Hamlet. Oh, yeah, that's right. I didn't make that connection. Uh, the character in House who died, Amber, also was killed in an accident, although not being run over by a truck. There was a bus crash, and she's dead, but in... House's imagination, she's still there interacting with him. And it's a it's a really cool, fun story arc. So I really hope um, Oliver sticks around in, in Jeffrey's imagination for more of this show. I'm looking forward to that part. Well, there's, there's definitely no avenging happening, but I, I do think that probably you know, at least in Oliver's mind, Oliver was a father figure to Jeffrey. Ah, uh, yes. So that, I mean, if you're going to tie it to Hamlet that way. Mm-hmm. Uh, I mean, and then obviously we... And then obviously we do have the uh, the grave diggers. Yes, <laughs> absolutely. It's it's I mean, the Mortimer. The Mortimer brothers, brothers are definitely uh, the great. Is represent the grave diggers, for certain. Ah, uh, interesting. But good, yeah, I, I good call, Paul. I would suspect that you're right, Amy. That uh, Oliver is going to come back and visit people. It may not be uh, Jeffrey every time. It may be some of the other people, um, especially as Jeffrey is trying to take over and do his own thing with this theater company. Hmm. Cool I to guess see we'll that. see. Je- Jeffrey is both the crazy one and the one Oliver was closest to. Mm-hmm. So that that those those are the reasons behind my prediction that. He'll, it'll just be him. Just it'll be just Jeffrey as he and he only exists in Jeffrey's imagination. But that having him interact with other people could also be in, an interesting direction to take things in. I think I, that he'll at least appear to uh, the uh, main actress. I, I heard Ellen. Ellen to Ellen. Mm-hmm. Yeah, I wanted to say Anna, mm-hmm. but yes, I yeah. think that she will at least appear once to Ellen. Ah, oh, that makes. 
yeah, that that kind of makes sense. And Darcy, you were going with the crazy thing. Absolutely. Okay. <laughs> he is totally off his nut, but it's it it is a uh, a, a good um, way to advance the plot as well. I like it. Yes. Um, uh, so, but uh, right well, in the middle of oh, sorry. Sorry, I, I just out of curiosity, when we were just talking about how much there are nods to Hamlet in this episode, mm-hmm. and I mean, there's a, a huge nod, obviously, later, and they're preparing to start doing rehearsals for Hamlet. Were there a bunch of nods, or even one or two nods in the first one about Midsummer Night's Dream? Not- Other than them actually putting on Midsummer Night's Dream, were there? I'm trying to think of like in Midsummer Night's Dream. Well, I don't know. Did anybody did anybody catch anything that I totally missed? No, no not that I noticed. No. Well, the, I guess there is the love triangle thing. Yeah, uh-huh. and they they somebody falls asleep. Obviously, I mean, <laughs> right. uh, what's his name does uh, Oliver in front of the pig mm-hmm. truck. But nobody gets turned into a donkey or anything, right? No. I didn't see that. Well, maybe not technically an ass. Yeah, I was wondering if there's some kind of weird, like, oh, you're right. There were <laughs> a couple of people did become asses throughout. Yes. <laughs> yes. I just wonder if that's going to be a ongoing thing. Because, I mean, there's only six episodes per season, so there's, what, 36? No, wait. Three times three, or six times three is... 18 episodes? 18 episodes. Yep. That's correct. So they could theoretically do like a play each episode and make little inside jokes or uh, allegories of the play parts in the actual episode. So I wonder if that's going to be a thing throughout the series. They, they could, but they definitely skip the histories, right? <laughs> yeah, the histories are boring, but that's my own opinion. So. <laughs> Who can say? Well, yeah, you can say, Paul. I could like, say, like, but I won't you say. Won't, you won't. <laughs> I could say, but I won't say. <laughs> and the next scene, uh, we have uh, Richard and uh, Maria working on the lighting for the funeral production and uh, the set for the funeral production. Uh, I, I had mentioned that I did not write down the actress's name, and I wanted to correct that. It's Catherine Fitch. Uh, but like I said, there wasn't a lot of credits that uh, were important to American audiences. That she's, she's, done, she's done a fair amount of work. She in the uh, Stratford Festival? I believe so. <laughs> I I have to, can can I can I do can I do my quote now? No, you have to wait for quotes. <laughs> I do I do like this scene though because um, it's the first time that we see Richard trying his hand at artistic director, and how like there's the main conversation happening, but in behind that he's giving like bad notes, obviously, and like when the actual funeral happens then we see exactly what his vision is on stage mm-hmm. so I, I like this kind of like foreshadowing uh, what's going to happen fairly soon in the episode and also uh, Anna comes in and she's uh, she's having trouble finding an officiant for the ceremony <laughs> <laughs> because the Anglican can only perform the ceremony in, in a church now I have a question interesting this yeah. goes back to the whole, you know, uh, church, church of England thing. Okay. Does is is that really a? They cannot uh-huh. have. Yeah, can they really not have a uh, minister? I, I know very little about the Anglican. Okay. Anglican I have faith. 
a different question that's kind of related, though, because, like, the Anglicans is the Church of England, right? It's, mm-hmm. like, their national yep. religion. Yes. Right. Is that also the national religion of Canada because it's uh, connected? Yeah, I think yep. by proxy. When, Canada, when, Canadians, when Canadians moved to Canada and took that faith with them, they continued to call themselves Anglicans. When they moved to what is now the United States and took that church with them, they started calling themselves Episcopalians instead. Oh. Oh, So the Episcopalian uh, denomination Denomination. is an American Anglican. Basically. Interesting. I did not know that. Or that's that's the history anyway. Yeah. It's just weird to, I like, because, you know, there's a separation of church and state, or there's supposed to be a separation of church and states mm-hmm. in America. It's odd to realize that there, I, like, I seriously doubt that there's a lot of intermingling anymore in the 21st century, but to realize that there is a national religion in some places that are first world countries. But there I guess is. that's like that everywhere, you know. Right. Except for, where is it, Sweden, where they have... The atheist, uh, atheist prime minister, prime minister. president. Yeah. yeah. Hmm. This is all news to me. I can't speak to the Church of Canada, but I have a very, very, very vague idea that that is a rule. Hmm. Um. I'll have to ask my priest. I, I I do know for a fact there are sep there are completely separate services. Um. There's one that's to be performed within the church, and there's one that's to be performed at the graveside when you're actually burying the body. Right. Hmm. Yeah, well, Catholics do kind of the same thing. Right. Or at least American Catholics do. Well, yeah. And, I mean, Catholicism's, uh, you know, it's... It's It's um, basically the same thing as Anglican. No, 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 no. Except for Henry VIII, remember the whole thing? Yeah, no. So yeah, it's uh, no, it's very different. But um, but as far as you know, Catholicism, uh, yeah, certain certain um, I don't know, even prayers, ceremonies, everything has to be done a certain way, a certain place, and I, I understand that. But I didn't realize that about the Anglican Church as well. I don't think I just want to say I don't think any of the priests I knew would have refused that request, but if the person making the request had made it clear that they were just asking for sort of a eulogy and some reflections and not a full-scale service, because that's what they wanted, and it sounds like... It sounds like this Anglican priest who wouldn't do it anywhere other than a church didn't understand that, because... I can't see a priest saying no to that if they knew that all they wanted was a kind of a reflective, very short, reflective talk. But that's just my my thoughts and my experience. No, no, you're, you're right. I, I kind of had the same kind of, like, reaction. Like, really? Like, well, that, wouldn't, they wouldn't, like, do that somewhere else? But Yeah, and then, I mean, so it, it's an interesting point. Of course, it is... Uh, a setup for a punch. Right. And uh, the whole time I was guessing that the guy was an actor. I was like, oh, they just yeah. hired some actor to yeah, do that. Yeah, I thought that was going to be the I thought that too. was going to be the punch. I really did. But I was actually surprised in another way, and I liked it. So there you go. So uh, getting getting ready for the, uh, the ceremony or the service, um, Richard kind of puts his foot in it with, uh, with May about uh, this being a difficult time. And May talks to Jeffrey. I, I forget whether it's in this scene or I think it was in the earlier scene when uh, when May uh, 
talks to him after he after he was uh, conversing with Oliver uh, that that uh, she's he's going to go for her and that uh, you know he sa- he says he's not sure what he's going to say and she says just speak the truth that it might be refreshing right mm-hmm. so now he's here and he says he's here for her um. Ellen arrives, and uh, Ellen has taken her chameleon and brought it to the green room of the theater. And her lizard. (laughs) (laughs) And, uh, you know, let's Naomi know, because many have screamed upon seeing the uh, chameleon. (laughs) Many. Um, So then they go through the last last minute backstage uh, announcements and such about the uh, duration of people's time on stage and that they'll... uh, They'll be flashed if they uh, if they go over their time. And uh, Claire decides she wants to push for doing two sonnets instead of just one. Um, Anna has found a minister. I believe she calls him a minister. Mm-hmm. Uh, and then we are actually into um, the funeral. Um, I, I didn't really find a lot on the minister. His, his name's Neil, Neil Barclay. I, I, I didn't find anything notable. Um, the actress Neil Barclay. Um, so then we get to uh, Richard's speech. And uh, does anybody have ri- any part of Richard's speech as a quote? Nope. No. no? Okay. Good. Uh, so yeah, uh, he's, he 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 flips it around uh, from what you'd normally say, you know the the cliche at a funeral would be say that uh, he was more than a colleague, he was a friend. And instead, he says yeah. he was more than a friend. He was a colleague, and then he goes through the numbers. I did write that down as a potential uh-huh. uh, quote. That but... was funny. So that was an interesting flip on that. Um, and Jeffrey runs into Ellen, mm-hmm. and uh, she um, runs off. And then he also Jeffrey also runs into Anna. And they discuss the contents of the letter. Yes. Which is that Oliver has requested that his skull be removed from his body and preserved for use in all future productions of Hamlet. Yep. And uh, I have a sidebar for that uh, that I may as well bring up now. Um, I looked up online to see if there's much precedent, because it seems like this type of thing that you would hear about. Um, and I found an article which I'll, I will link to uh, following the actual publication of this episode. An article on the New Yorker blog uh, from 2009. The uh, Royal Shakespeare Company was using a real skull, and they were con- uh, concerned it was uh, distracting the audience uh, because it had belonged to the Polish concert pianist um, Andrzej Tchaikovsky. <laughs> wow. Oh. Well, cool. Yeah, that's not the composer Tchaikovsky, but it is a, a, I would assume the name is a, a familial name. Yeah. Mm-hmm. Um, and it is not uncommon. Uh, Tchaikovsky bequeathed his skull in 82 for the express purpose of being used as Yorick. Um, <laughs> but that is, he's uh, only one of many. Uh, in the mid-19th century, um, John Pop Reed worked as a gaslighter in the Walnut Theater in Philadelphia, and the clause was in his will that his uh, head be separated from his body and used in all future productions of, uh, of Hamlet. <laughs> yeah, I can see that happening uh-huh. in the 1800s, but in 2009... But, Nin- so- 1955, Juan Potomachi uh, promised 200,000 pesos to the Teatro Dramatico in Buenos Aires 
on the condition that his skull would be used as Yorick in all future productions. <laughs> wow. Um, and then there were then there were others others. Um, most recently in Chicago, uh, comedian Del Close attempted to leave his skull to the Goodman Theater in Chicago, but uh, they couldn't find anyone to actually do the uh, separation and rendering. The, 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 at the hospital, they wouldn't remove the head. At the funeral home, they wouldn't remove the head, and oh. it and ended up not happening. No taxidermists. So out of all of those, so that's – there's precedent for that. There's no, like, legal – Issues with any of those stories that you brought? Like the one, the, the, the Chicago, most recent one? Yeah, the, the, Del, the Del Close in Chicago. Um, I kind of got the sense that the, that a lot of that was legal. Like the mm-hmm. hospital said, I, we, we can't legally do it, and the funeral home said, we can't legally do it. Um, mm-hmm. I mean, I think it was, I, I believe it was more than just, we won't do that. It was, we won't do that, and here's the law why. Mm-hmm. Right. Which is curious to me on two points. Um, these people, several of these real life examples you've cited, put it in their actually their actual will, which is supposed to be a legal document. Unlike Jeffrey, who only wrote a handwritten letter. But it's it was in, um, yeah Oliver had the letter. Oliver did have a notarized I mean, letter. I mean Oliver, yeah. Yeah. Oh, and had it notarized, but still not quite the not same quite as a, a will. Not quite I a suppose. Will. I suppose. So hmm. that is interesting. I wonder exactly. I'd love to know exactly what the law is. I'm sure there are some them. things that you that even though it's in a will, like by law, will not be carried out. Well, I know from watching um, the series Oddities on uh, was that Discovery Network or Learning Channel? Oh, I can't remember. That sounds like a TLC show. Yeah, I think it's a TLC show. Uh, but Oddities, they 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 run a curio shop of of bizarre items, and they occasionally uh, get human body parts. And there are very strict regulations on owning and and uh, trading, selling of body parts. Right, they have to be mm-hmm. of a certain vintage to be able to do it. Because yeah, they have to be older than a certain point for you to actually legally possess and uh and and sell of course this isn't a, a matter of commerce no and i don't know what the law is in canada but this is definitely in, in, in america there are definitely laws in terms of trafficking in human human body parts oh, i see okay. good to know america yes well i mean it's 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 it, you know it comes out of the uh it well, comes I out change of the, my will now paul yeah I know. <laughs> it comes out of the the 1800s when the the craze of medical schools was so oh, yeah. Was so busy that I mean, they they there were people that were uh, that were you know digging up bodies or you know finding a fresh corpse and and, and selling it instead of instead of burying it. Um, the H.H. Uh, uh, H. Holmes of Chicago, yep. in the as described in The Devil in the White City by Eric Larson, um, had several of his victims articulated and sold to medical schools. Oh, oh my goodness! That would be a good way to dispose of a body. So, uh, so I mean, I don't know about good, but well, <laughs> certainly efficient, handy way, handy way to dispose of a body. Yeah. Uh, but back to the task at hand. Um, um, Ellen goes and breaks down, as you can see her completely sobbing after her encounter with Jeffrey, and I'm not sure if that's. Uh, well, it's kind of open to interpretation whether it's just because Jeffrey was there or if that opened up the floodgates on Oliver being actually dead or what it is exactly. She forgot to take her lithium. <laughs> I'm thinking it was both. Both of the above is my vote. She yeah, the fact, 
She Go hasn't ahead. seen Jeffrey in ages, and Oliver really is dead, and suddenly Jeffrey's suddenly come back into her life. That would right. push anyone over the edge. <laughs> Go ahead. The fact that, uh, that Jeffrey uh, got over whatever feud they had to show up probably also kind of sunk home yeah. that, oh shit, this is for real. Oh yeah. That's right. So then we get to the actual, uh, we get to see some actual uh, scenes from the funeral. Um, and again, we get some some uh, some fairly deep in jokes. I don't know how much of the Canadian viewing audience would necessarily know about these people. The first person on screen is Patrick Watson, and he's had a long and distinguished career in Canadian, mostly uh, I think radio broadcast, but also in television. And I don't think I don't know for sure whether he's intended to be playing himself, but since he didn't have a character role per se. Per se, he was listed as playing himself. And the second gentleman is Albert Schultz uh, talking about the car upholstery. Um, <laughs> and he is the uh, founding artistic director for the Soul Pepper Theater Company, which, uh, as I mentioned in the last episode, is, is uh, the theater company that Martha Burns and Susan Coyne also helped co-found. Oh, okay. So both uh, Albert Schultz in particular, I believe, uh, being mostly a behind-the-scenes person, um, artistic director would be a, a, another serious in-joke for people who know the theater community because he's not uh, in front of the camera or on stage performer per se. I mean, I, I, he obviously has enough chops to pull off a, an amusing anecdote. And I suspect that uh, in your experience, do most people that are in the theater have some, some fa- uh, factor of previous dramatic uh, at least wanting to be, wanting to have been an actor well i guess that's that's kind of the joke is that either you are an actor or a failed actor if you are in the theater that's the, and that's that's what the actors say about the technicians so i see mm-hmm. then we get to uh, to claire reading and frank and cyril have their commentary on their opinion of her <laughs> Which I won't directly cite if anybody is, but they, they, it, it appears that they uh, believe that she's a not very good and b, you know, definitely uh, seeking to to advance her status. And I don't know if anybody has anything further on Frank and Cyril or their opinions. Go ahead. Uh, they're they're so, so warm and fuzzy. I really like <laughs> those guys. In my head, I just called them Statler and Waldorf because right. I didn't know their names. <laughs> yes. But, okay, they're Frank and Cyril. <laughs> I thought it was interesting that they showed up late in this episode. Like, this is the first time we see them, right? I and believe see, it is. Yeah, and the episode's almost over. I, I, they they always have a bit of a uh, a bit of a Rosencrantz and Guildenstern thing going for me. I mean, like I said, they're they're far too old to actually play them anymore. But in terms of which one's Frank and which one's Cyril, I'm I'm still working hard on trying to get that uh, nailed down. <laughs> right. Well, which Wait. one's Waldorf and which one's Sally? I know, I know I mentioned it on the uh, first podcast, but at, as of this very single moment, I'd have to go back to my notes to make sure exactly which one was which. Mm. I'm pretty sure Cyril's the bald one. But not well, eventually it. one of them will start flipping coins. <laughs> yes. Very good reference. Thank you. <laughs> <laughs> Nothing like a Tom Stoppard reference. Right. Mm-hmm. Uh, well, well, while Claire is speaking, Richard and Jeffrey meet briefly on the uh, in the wings. 
and it's clear that uh, Claire has gotten her way and is doing two sonnets, although apparently she's, you know, Richard doesn't really know the sonnets, so he's not clear where she is in the whole thing. Uh, but she is wrapping up her second one, and uh, Jeffrey gets to take the stage. Yes. And when Jeffrey takes the stage, he has uh, some amusing anecdotes, uh, notes from his, uh, his script of Hamlet. I'm not exactly sure what... Uh, does anybody have those as quotes, first of all? I don't, but are those okay. quotes like things that Oliver had said that he scribbled down, or yes. were those Jeffrey's th- Okay. Yeah, it's, it's Jeffrey writing down specific things that, that Oliver said that amused him. Gotcha. Uh, I'm not exactly sure what the getting needing needles out of our pubic hair is supposed to imply. Yeah. I think uh, whether people are paying too much attention to details or what it is exactly. Uh, I'm not sure what he... It's more amusing than actually uh, meaningful. Yeah, it's a funny thing to say, but that went way over my head. I had no idea what that was supposed to mean. And it did have the, uh, the sight gag. Um, Oliver is uh, seen by Jeffrey again um, on the stage, sitting on his coffin. And uh, the knitting needles and pubic hair go- offers a, a nice mime opportunity for, uh, for, for Stephen Wiemet. <laughs> uh, so th- but then, following his, uh, his couple of amusing uh, notes, he's he, gives a fairly heartfelt speech about uh, about how he felt about the theater in the past, and then a fairly scathing uh, indictment of the performance of the festival of late. Oh, yeah. Mm-hmm. He, they he said let him have this, it. Yeah, he sure did. He said somebody, I think it, was it May? Yeah, I think it was May, told him to tell the truth, and oh boy, did he tell the truth. That's what I call speaking truth to power. I loved that scene. That was a great scene, and I thought it was a great setup for the rest of the story. And um, obviously, Holly was in the audience, and I think this is going to lead to a lot of loss of sponsors and a lot of interesting conflict, possibly. All All right, well... I'm not sure exactly how much people are up on theatrical mythology. I think you'll know where I'm going with this, Amy. Um... When he is actually on stage and, and delivering his, his indictment of the show, he uses a quote. And while he is on stage, he says that he is quoting from, quote, Macbeth. Oh, my God. Of you course I know about that. I have no idea how I missed that. Yep. You should never say Macbeth on stage. That is the old, the old folklore because it, it will curse all... All, well, not all. It's supposed to be that performance, but I, I believe that I believe it's going to go a little further than that. Yes, theater superstition is is you, if you utter the name Macbeth, uh, there are some particular counter counter curses you can use afterwards. Uh, I don't know them all, <laughs> but uh, they, they vary in terms of eccentricity and uh, and unusual behavior. Circle- and it also depends on who says it and how new they are. Right. Yeah. Interesting. I had, I'd never heard of that before. Yep. So, um, you had a you had something that you believe you believe that at least that uh, might have uh, influenced the uh, minister's speech. I I really do. I really think that that is why quote all hell broke loose because <laughs> yeah I I think that that was exactly why because he said Macbeth on stage. You're not is that, that he says. To quote Macbeth and then does it. It's not like the last thing he says, right? Right, but right. You, okay. you, everybody refers, refers to it as the Scottish play. You never right. say it. 
Interesting. Yeah. Unless you're performing it. I was going to say, yeah, did they say the word Macbeth in the play Macbeth? Yes, yes of, course of course they do. Yes. Okay. So that one's okay, obviously, because it's, mm-hmm. uh, it's scripted. in production. Yeah, it's scripted. Um, I'll look up and uh, attach a link when I, when I post this episode. I'll attach a link in the Facebook uh, group. There is a fairly detailed breakdown of exactly what is supposedly the uh, background behind the, the Macbeth... Uh, not speaking the the name of the play um, on uh, Skeptoid podcast, <laughs> and cool. uh, Brian Dunning does a really good job of breaking down all of the various reasons, all the various things that have happened that are supposedly tied to someone saying Macbeth in the theater or on the stage. I, I personally have no stories of that because, I mean, I know people have said it, but I can't. I cannot not think of a single thing. You can't think of the misfortune that follows it? I cannot. Okay. So the minister does go to work, and uh, as he he said in the uh, backstage area, he thinks he can find something that would be appropriate for this crowd. And he launches into a uh, scathing attack on the theater and uh, of the uh, immoral traits of the people within. Yep. And they go so far as to pull a fire alarm so that he can be pushed off the stage and everybody would leave. Yeah, well done to, is it Anna? Yeah, Anna. Anna. Yeah. I like, when she pulled the fire alarm, I thought that was pretty funny. And then, obviously, when uh, Jeffrey walks out to watch the chaos happen. But then when she goes over there and just shoves him aside. It tackles I was like, him, practically. Great. Yeah. <laughs> uh, so then we get to uh, a second board meeting where they're actually going to choose their interim artistic director and um, Holly is immediately putting Richard's name forth but May has a different opinion and we cut away from that with uh, with Holly going in and I don't know if she wasn't paying attention during the funeral ceremony where she was sitting in the audience watching Jeffrey speak but she, she wants to know who the hell he is so obviously Holly's early plan for Richard to be in charge of everything is foiled right so technically she could be in charge of everything because she is pulling his strings right Puppet boy. Right. But I do like the fact that, uh, that and I brought this up earlier in the episode, but the, that Oliver's funeral is kind of like Richard's test run as an artistic director and like how uh, frazzled he becomes throughout the whole episode while he's trying to put on this production and – how throughout the actual like artistic people involved in the theater, because I don't really f- get the feeling that he is artistically driven or whatever, like that he has a background as an artist, Richard being that. And so like throughout his planning this big production of the funeral, there are constant like quips about how what he is putting on is hideous and like how he's controlling for like everybody gets five minutes and all that kind of stuff. And then even one of those um, cameo guest people make a reference to how just gross this, the the scenery is on stage. I believe that's Frank and Cyril again. Yep. No, one of the uh, one of the guys who actually is giving a little his five minutes. One of the he I, I don't I didn't get the reference, but I, mm. I imagine it was supposed to be a dig. He says, "I feel like I'm on the first act of the boys from Syracuse." Yes, I didn't look up the boys from Syracuse, but uh, but I imagine that was some kind of like uh, a slam on on the set design that even the set designer had to like wanted to like 
do away with like those masks and some other stuff and like got overruled by the quote unquote pseudo artistic director. Right. So I, I thought that the fact that in the end that may have been a part of May's decision and the fact that um, uh, uh, Jeffrey was so honest and critical in his little outburst there. Yeah. Yeah. Mm-hmm. Then next, Jeffrey goes to the Mortimer brothers and they speak about his uh, performances that they've seen in the past and they missed his Hamlet, which was very short. Yes. <laughs> and he asks them for the head. And uh, after some negotiation, or after some discussion, the Mortimers decide that they can indeed remove the head, but they can't uh, do the rendering, yes. I believe is, that, is what, what they, they said. said. Rendering. So he uh, props up the cooler that he brought along with to bring the head along, and, uh, and they go to work. And then our uh, final setting of the episode is the bar. You get uh, a little brief moment with uh, Frank and Cyril uh, talking about the uh, fiasco at the, of the minister and uh, what he was saying. Uh, you get uh, Claire and Kate talking about how uh, her sonnet's totally rocked. <laughs> <laughs> mm-hmm. And how the uh, the uh, performance of the commercial was horrible because it was cold and drizzly on the f- soccer field, and how Claire is kind of I don't know I, I that that particular interaction made me like Claire less I guess which kind of sucks because I kind of wanted to like her but uh, the fact that she would always make whatever she's doing sound more important than the other actresses or, or her competition, which happens to be Kate, which I don't think Kate understands is happening. Mm-hmm. Right. Because she's innocent and naive. There you go. Mm-hmm. Uh, and then we get a little scene with uh, Sloan talking about his important dilemmas with, uh, with Ellen. <laughs> <laughs> well, you know, in 2003, that was a big deal, dude. Yeah, there you go. Which video game system do you choose? <laughs> and uh, Jeffrey appears at the bar and uh, talks to Ellen and uh, ends up uh, propping the cooler up on the uh, up on the bar and uh, attempting to shock Ellen, I suppose. <laughs> yeah, talk about unsanitary. That and is a place where food and drink goes. Not people's heads. Severed not heads. people's heads in a cooler. <laughs> But uh, Ellen pretty much reveals that she does not like the idea of Jeffrey coming in and being an artistic director of of, of basically her theater. And um, then uh, Jack Crew enters. Kate, it's revealed to Kate exactly who he is, and uh, Ellen per- points out that uh, this is Jeffrey's Hamlet. He will be the Hamlet that Jeffrey is directing in a production that begins very soon. And this is Hamlet, which is the, uh, I probably need not remind everyone, that is the production that uh, drove Jeffrey mad and pushed Mm -hmm. him out of acting forever. Yep, you don't need to remind us. I cannot wait to see where this goes. Did any of you guys think that Jack Crew is supposed to be somebody? Yeah. Because he um, looks, I I thought Tom Cruise, because he kind of looks like Tom Cruise, like a young Tom Cruise, oh, and his was, name is Jack Cruise. 
or Jack, crew. Or, Jack crew, yes. Yeah. Uh, and then the other thing is um, the speculation. It's never directly uh, revealed that it's true, but the speculation is that this is a uh, reference to the Man- Manitoba Theatre Centre production of Hamlet in the 90s, which starred Keanu Reeves mm-hmm. as okay. Hamlet. Yep. Dude. Oh. Dude. <laughs> I was just thinking, that makes me think of his, uh, the Bram Stoker Dracula, where him and uh, Wynonna Ryder had the <laughs> valley accents. Well, and then, of course, he has, produ- he has performed uh, Shakespeare on film as well in, um, in uh, Much Ado About Nothing. That's right. The that's Kenneth right. Branagh production of Much where, Ado. Where he had the, the two, two emotions. I'm happy, I'm pissed. <laughs> I'm happy, I'm pissed. <laughs> and I think, doesn't he even, like, bite his knuckle? Possibly. I can't. We, yeah. we, 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 we used to make fun of him quite a bit in that particular uh, performance back in the day. <laughs> Well, I'm, I'm interested. If I thought he was Tom Cruise and you guys didn't, did you all think that he was? Did you were you assuming, Darcy, that he is uh, Keanu? You know, actually, oh. I wasn't because Paul just brought that up. Now we hadn't we hadn't had that discussion before. I was thinking he was like Elvis's ghost. That's just where I was. Ah, but, you had an Elvis. Yeah, I did. Yeah, that's what I got. I never. I didn't get anything at all. I just assumed a or, generic original young movie actor. Right, Hollywood trying to do stage, mm. and everybody knows that there's that one or the other, you know. It's hard to, I wouldn't say it's hard to transition, but there's a, a an explicit difference between performing in front of a camera and performing on stage. Mm-hmm. Yeah, most definitely. So once Ellen points this uh, whole fact out that uh, Jeffrey is due to start producing Hamlet in days and his... Uh, Performer is a uh, actor, I believe. She says this is anybody's quote, is it? No. I believe she says that he's uh, he's a little light on the acting, but pretty good with the kung fu or something like that. (laughs) (laughs) Yeah, something like that. Uh, So she points this all out, and uh, Jeffrey ends with a quote from Twelfth Night, and thus the whirligig of time brings in its revenges. Ah, so I wonder if Twelfth Night will be the play that is referenced in the third episode. Who knows? Oh, little I foreshadowing there, right there at the end. What, are we allowed to know what that episode's called yet? Um, crap! I don't even know if I wrote it down. <laughs> I didn't write down the homework for next week. I have to look it up. <laughs> That's okay. We can look it up. Yes, we will look it up. In the meantime, um, well, that pretty much wraps up our. Uh, our our detailed breakdown. If anybody has any further thoughts, otherwise we can move on to feedback and uh, quotes and ratings. Nope, I'm good. Okay. Nope. We have one piece of feedback this week from Heidi, and uh, she sent this to us in email. Hi guys, this is my first time watching Slings and Arrows, so I don't know many of the characters' names yet. I was surprised to see Rachel McAdams as Kate. I really like her, and she's a pretty big-name actress now. I'm unsure about Richard at this point. His bumbling could be humorous, or he's going to be very annoying. Okay, by the end of the episode, I have decided on annoying. I found the, I found the funeral home workers very entertaining, and the funeral taking place on stage was amazing. Jeffrey is a great character. He's funny, reluctant, and he's seeing Oliver's ghost or just something in his head. This could prove to be very entertaining. I'm looking forward to watching more of this show and listening to your podcast. Heidi. 
thank you very much, Heidi. Keep sending in the great feedback. We love hearing other people's thoughts. More, the more voices, the better. Yes. What do you guys think about her comment on uh, Richard being annoying or quirky? Uh, yeah, she. I think she's got him pegged as annoying. He's annoying to me, but yeah, he was pretty annoying to me in this episode. Which kind of, I, I was kind of wanted to root for Mark McKinney because I like him as an actor, and he was more quirky in the first episode. Or bumbling or whatever. But yeah, he definitely was way more annoying this time around. But it could be because he's being a puppet at the moment. Maybe, right, right. Maybe once the hand is removed, it'll be different. We'll see. Ooh, yeah. Ooh, it'd be really cool to see him when he grows a pair. Like, <laughs> to see him unleashed. I'm hoping. I'm hoping. Oh, that surely happens. that's going to happen. Okay. Yeah. Good. <laughs> well, I don't know. I'm just assuming, but yeah. that would be great. Yeah, that would. I I didn't really see him as annoying. I just thought, well, poor guy's really got a lot on his plate. It'll be interesting to see how this dramatic situation develops. Well, shall we we quote? Shall we quote? We shall quote. We shall quote. Is anyone uh, chomping at the bit to get the first quote off? (laughs) (laughs) Sounds dirty, Paul. (laughs) Sweetie, <laughs> I, I, I didn't think so, but uh, okay. Your, your son is frowning at you. He is not. He's smiling at me. Uh, <laughs> and he wouldn't uh, even get that, even if it did sound dirty. Whoa, whoa! Are we performing in front of a live studio audience? Well, he's so quiet, you wouldn't even know it, would you? No, no. He's an awesome kid. I'll uh, go ahead and throw yes. out a quote. Unless, okay. And this is one that sticks in my mind because it's on the options menu for the DVD. Make some effort, man. I'm talking to you from the other side. (laughs) (laughs) I like that. (laughs) That's like right after he tells him to shut up or something. That's right. That's all Jeffrey does in that scene is tell Oliver to shut up. (laughs) (laughs) Well, you know, think about it. What would you do? Really? That's right. Yeah, That's well, probably- yeah. I would probably tell him to shut up because I don't want to be going insane. Nobody wants to be <laughs> insane. Really, nobody wants that. Especially not Jeffrey, who has no. been insane and is and like and often says, "I'm over and past that now." Yeah, you guys keep bringing that up. I don't I I guess I did know that, but it just really didn't sink in that he is supposed to be certifiable like um I don't know. I just I I don't get that feeling off of him like that he is a recovering uh mental case. Mental, mental case. case. It, yeah, that's the a, word I'm looking for. It is a bit of an informed attribute. We only know that because they mention it in the first episode. I think I just, on I, the newscast. Right. And they mentioned it in the uh the Mortimer brothers mentioned it as well. He yeah. says, he says I right. want to. I want to say this isn't a crazy thing. I don't mean to do anything with anything weird with Oliver's head. And they say, well, we've heard otherwise. Right. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> I don't know. I guess. I guess I just got all of his like um, his craziness. I get the feeling that he's just very passionate about his art. Oh yeah, but some people would say that that's the one and the same thing, or that right. there's a fine line between them. I have a feeling that uh, in the theater that, you know, there is not a, a necessarily a minority of people who have either 
gone over the edge or are medicated or have been committed. I, I really, honestly, I don't think that that's a minority. I think we're how, we're all good friends. How, 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 how thin is the line between creativity and madness in the theater? Right, or in any kind of artistic line. endeavor. Exactly. I mean, look at the greatest artists. They're all a little bit nutso. Mm-hmm. But I, I just, I bring this point up because I think that you guys are right. I think that this is going to be a major plot point throughout the series, like uh, Jeffrey's mental, you know, fragility. But uh, I, for some reason, just watching these two episodes, I'm not really picking up on that he is that mentally unstable. And through us just discussing it on this podcast, it, it, it you're making it, I'm realizing that I'm supposed to be picking up on that, but I'm not. So I'm, that's just interesting, I guess, a comment on me or yeah, how, what about how you, Ben? <laughs> well, no, or or <laughs> how kidding. how uh, how this character is being portrayed? Yeah, right. Well, he's he himself says that admits that he used to be crazy, but says that he isn't anymore. Right. Yeah, both to the uh, both to the uh, the funeral uh, to the Mortimer brothers in this episode, as well as to the owner of the building in the previous episode. Mm-hmm. Right. That's right. Ben, do you have any quotes? Yeah, my um, my quote kind of was already said, and uh, it is that there are sandwiches, uh, mainly <laughs> because I love Sean Collin, and I really had hoped that he would review the funeral, and maybe that'll be at the beginning of the next episode. <laughs> I, I love that his would character. Be awesome. His character is uh, as Basil, I think. Right, that's the name Basil, of his. Basil, yes. And and Paul, man, you hit it right on the head. Like the second that they said that the editor's timing on that cut to him and his reaction is flawless. Uh, so that that for sure is my quote: is uh, there are sandwiches and him just be like, okay, I'm done with this, and like scurrying off. Would you like to go next? Okay, my mine is uh, Richard says. What kind of gel are you using? It looks like a Halloween pageant, and that. Boy, I, I feel like I've heard something really similar to that before at some point in time. I don't know. It's just, uh, you know, that that director going off on the 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 technicians, and the technicians are kind of scoffing at him as he does it. So, you know, at, at least at least we all have each other, you know. And he probably, you know, they should have used surprise pink. You always use surprise pink as your gel. There you go. So they that was a reference in the fact that it was too orange. Yeah. Or okay, but when we saw it at the end, it's pretty orange, right? It is. It is. But okay. you know, they just you know, it's too much amber and not enough surprise pink. There you go. We've had lighting class. <laughs> yeah. As far I had lighting class uh, seven years ago now, and the only thing that I retained is I can still probably set up three point lighting, but that's about right. it. Yeah. yeah. And I bet they didn't have gels still. Yeah, did were, they? were you gelling lights or were you very, oh, yeah, using totally. very light? No, no, but they weren't gels. I mean, because we, we even ran across actual gels. We would. Oh, yeah, actual gelatin actual gels. Actual gelatin oh, gels. Oh, no, no. We were because putting. Because that, that was the big thing is, you know, well, this was probably more back in the 70s and 80s. If you had a new technician, you'd say, well, go wash the gel. Well, if you take <laughs> that and you put water on it, it dissolves. Because um, it's made out of gelatin originally. So now they're all, you know, poly sheeting. And yeah. now they're poly sheeting. But yeah. And they were mostly poly sheeting you know, that we actually used. Right. But we, we, would, we would find them and occasionally we would. Well, the lighting that I was doing was for film. So I think that that's slightly different than lighting for stage. It is different. How it is. A film 
camera picks it up. Yes. Yeah, it, it's different, but it's still it's still technically the the basics are the same. The same materials, I imagine. Yep. So well, same materials and same concept too. Had no idea it was actually made out of gelatin, which of course makes sense that they're called gels. Yep. I have uh, after after Ellen sends Sloan away for cigarettes, Jeffrey approaches and says, "Oh, you have a son. Not mine, I hope." <laughs> That was that was a, another runner-up line that I had also written down. I like the fact that they play her. I hate to use the word cougar, but like that they play her uh, <laughs> oh, autumn okay. romance uh, at angle. Uh, I like that she has that character trait, and it, that it's it's kind of you know I guess I, I guess flipped around. I mean, you know, usually it's the other way around as far as the sexes go. Yeah, you don't see the you don't see the uh, the cougar portrayal too often on. On television or film, unless it's a really, really sp- central figure. I mean, you know, well, like, I mean, it's a little bit more prevalent now in yeah, media. Yeah, now. But this was ten years ago, yeah, right? Ten years so, ago, it's still ten years it's ago. Still it's still a little more, taboo and like uh, an interesting. Uh, yeah, an old guy with a young trophy wife was completely acceptable, but it was not uh, usually spoken about the other way around. Right. Right. Mm-hmm. Uh, any more quotes from folks? Uh, I think that we said all mine. Let's see. No, I have I a good one. Stuff. Okay, you have one? Yeah, yeah, yeah. Who will do us when we're gone, Sal? No, oh, that was a good one. I actually I, like that line. I love that because... That was awesome, yeah. You know, and then that goes back to my, my whole familial experience of, you know, having grown up with a family that did that for a living. You know, and and just think about it. If you are the only funeral parlor within, you know, I think that their funeral parlor... It's like 500 mile radius. It's out yeah, to it's, Billings. It's, it's 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 from Billings all the way into the uh, Western Dakotas, and then out to yeah. Bismarck. And out to Bismarck, yeah. So that's that. That's it. So it's huge. So guess who's going to do you? Yeah, it's, I mean, you're, it's your I mean, family. Yeah, I mean, as the funeral director, you're definitely going to be uh, you're definitely going to be working on uh, people that uh, that you went to school with. Yeah, you're going to be know working everyone. with your neighbors. You're going to be working on your your relatives. Right. Uh, did you yeah. did you feel uh, did you feel up to telling the story? Okay, I'm gonna I'm gonna try and do it. It's it's a little difficult, but um, when my mom passed away, uh, you know, it was it, it, the way we dealt with it with, with my sister and, us, and I w- was through humor. So you know, when we we went to a funeral parlor in in Denver, Colorado, because my mom was from there, and that's where she passed away. And, uh, you know, the second we walked in there, the people who were running this place, and, you know, it's a very respectable place, but it just totally struck us that, you know, they were, they, they were so ghoulish. It was, it was hilarious because, like, the receptionist, she, her face was, like, almost powdered, and her hair was really dark, and she had these really long, dark nails and dark lipstick. And, you know, like, I, I know where you're hanging out at night. <laughs> And then the the guy who was you know trying to sell us the plot and everything he was he was exactly he was like Sal he was it was it was just so hilarious and so we called them the ghouls the whole time that we were trying to get this whole thing together so uh, we get there and um, 
it, it was an unfortunate uh, thing that my mother, uh, when she passed away, she, uh, nobody really knew what had happened to her, and she was very young. So, of course, you know, the coroner holds the body, and they held it for quite some time. So when that happens, unfortunately, <laughs> the, um, the body doesn't always uh, hold up very well mm-hmm. on ice. So, um, and we had planned to do a traditional funeral. We didn't realize it was going to be, uh, it was going to take this long. So when we um, went in in the morning that we were supposed to do the viewing, uh, my, I, before I go in, and here, here we are, you know, the only other dead bodies I've seen were the ones that were in the dark room. So, yeah. and I'm probably, how old was I, about 22 uh, yeah, I guess that's about right. So, yeah. and I'm about to see the first dead body I've ever seen. It was my mom. And, and so my uncle comes out and he's, his hands are shaking. And he is, and he is the uh, funeral, yeah. the current right. he's funeral the director. Current, yeah. He's the current mortician. And he says, Darcy, something's happened. And I'm like, well, you know, it's, it's, we'll have to deal with it. And he's like, well, the body swelled and apparently they didn't even look at the picture. I'm like, really? He's like, they didn't even look at it. There's no way. And he's like, I'm trying to fix it, but my hands are shaking. Can you do it? Oh. Because he knew, you know, I'd had stage makeup and I was teaching stage makeup and it's really, really similar. So, you know, I go in and, you know, I, I did what I could, but it was not... You know, it was very, very emotional. Bizarre. Well, no, no, I didn't. I don't even think. Did I seem emotional at the time you were there? Yeah, yeah. Dan and I were sort of standing over in the corner, like I got nothing to say. You got anything to say? <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> I can't believe she's doing that. Yeah. But no, and you know, I did what I could with it, and then um, after that, I went out and I, I asked to speak to the gal who did it, and I was like, okay, first of all. You know, I realize that you're busy. I realize you probably had 20 minutes to do this. But here's the thing. If you don't look at the picture or if you can't see the picture, you make a call. That's what you do. Because that, that's totally unacceptable. And, you know, I went ahead to tell her that, you know, I had no experience doing what I ended up doing. But for whatever reason, you, you don't ever 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 leave a relative in that state so but that that's kind of the end of my story it was it was a very bizarre experience but so you know that one really that quote really struck struck home for me because you know that's 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 kind of home which is Mm -hmm. weird and kind of crazy too but there you have it my last quote my last quote is uh on on a slightly lighter note but also the mortimer brothers um and jeffrey We've never removed a head before. We've <laughs> sewn them back on. Well, I imagine it's the same thing, but in reverse. <laughs> yeah, just take the stitching out. That's right. So, though that's pretty funny too, because you know, then of course my uncle would always give us some pretty interesting stories oh. over the <laughs> dinner table about you know what he had to do, and you know who who he had to scrape out of the tree. So, yeah, the car was wrapped around a tree, and the you know he had to scrape eat. bits out. You know, but it's mm. it's it's definitely an occupation that um, really takes a a strong person. Actually, my my uncle quit not too terribly long ago and sold his interest in the business and. Um, I'm, I'm glad to say that neither of his children are going into it because, really, honestly, where they are and what they do, it's it, it, it's just uh, 
it's too hard on on a person, I think. Yeah. So. Darcy, have you seen uh, Six Feet Under? You know what? I have been reserving that. And I'm not sure if it's because I think it would strike me too in close. too close. It, I, I'm not sure if I could find it funny, but I probably could after having seen this and, and taken so much humor and enjoyed it as much as I did. I probably could do it. Yeah, it's think? a really I, – I love the show. Uh, have you, do you watch Dexter? Uh, you know what? I've only caught like a couple of episodes, okay. but I think it's hilarious, though. I think that you would probably get, since your family has a, a mortician background, that you would probably get some of the inside jokes of Six Feet Under more than the average layman. But Perhaps. I don't know. I think you. I think you would enjoy it. I'll, I'll take a look at it sometime. I love it. It's one of my favorite. It's like the first like uh, HBO show that I ever watched. You know, because it was right when they were all starting. Uh huh. Yeah. So, like, I never really got into Sopranos or um, I can't even think of any other big ones that The Wire. I never really got into The Wire, but man, I love Six Feet Under. It was I'll great, great, great it. show. Yes, it might pain. It it may pain Robin Burge to hear, but I I never actually watched any Six Feet Under, and and therefore never listened to any of his uh, his intro cast for. Six I was about Feet to say, Under. I wonder if there's an intro cast for it. Yes, Robin Burge headed that one up. That might be worth checking out then. Hmm. Oh yeah. That would be a good. That would be good to check. Have out. you seen Six Feet Under? No, Amy? I have not. But oh, now you've got me interested. You all need to watch it. Paul, have you seen it? No, no, I have not. Like <sighs> I said, it, it pains me to mention. <laughs> oh yeah, yeah, yeah. Duh. Yes. <laughs> Sorry, a little brain fart there. Are we ready to rate? I think yep. so. Can I go first again? Yes, sure thing. Please. I for this episode, great. Drama really, really got me interested in seeing what was happening, what would, what was going to happen next, even more so than the first episode. So nine out of ten corny smacks. <laughs> <laughs> Very nice. Uh, ben, would you like to go second? Yeah, um, I'll, I'll preface this that I rated the first one six. Uh, deep impacts, I think, or deep penetrations. Deep penetrations. Six, six stars. Penetrations. And this one I enjoyed way more than the first one. And this one actually really kind of sucked me into the show, and I think that I'm going to really enjoy the show. So I'm going to give it eight dehydrated uh, um, chameleons. Oh, man. <laughs> eight dehydrated chameleons. Quick, Darcy, think, think. Oh, did I steal yours? <laughs> oh, I'm sorry. <laughs> That's all right. It's all right. I got it. I got it. Yeah, this is what okay. you, this is what you need to do. Okay. Okay. Thank you, Paul, for helping me think quickly. Okay. Uh, you know what? I thought it was hilarious. I I was laughing. I uh, it, it, it apparently has touched me in a lot of weird ways. <laughs> I didn't mean it like ways. that. I didn't mean it like that. But um, so I I really 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 enjoyed it. I will give it a. A uh, nine out of ten severed heads. <laughs> Thank you, Paul. There you go. Um, and yes, yeah, so, I mean, I, I I think it really does almost more so than the first one does a lot of setup for what's going to happen next. Um, but in, in a good way. I mean, it really it really gets you gets you uh, intrigued and interested in the rest of the uh, the rest of what's to come. So I'm going to give it a nine out of ten favorite birds. <laughs> So All right. what's our next episode? What's our assignment for next week? Okay. Our assignment for next week is an episode called Madness in Great Ones. Oh, boy. Hmm. So, Twelfth Night reference? 
I'm fine. I'm I'm not finding it. Okay. <laughs> well, we'll see what happens. Yes, then. we shall see. Although Jeffrey's return doesn't really scream uh, Hamlet, does it? It could because of all the ghosties and that, but yeah, we'll see. And isn't Hamlet returning from? Is he returning from the Crusades? Is that where he's been, or am I making that up? Making that, that well, not making. Does he that not up, return there, or something in the very beginning of the play, or is he just always there? It's um, uh, maybe maybe I'm thinking of Robin Hood. I believe you. I believe he was there all along with. with yeah. yeah, I believe he was there all along uh, in terms of the backstory on Hamlet. Well, what's uh, the little trip that I guess he sends Rosencrantz? And oh, he comes. Well, yeah, no, he comes back in, in the middle of the play. He gets sent to England with Rosencrantz right. and Guildenstern, and he ends up, uh, you know, double crossing them and and going back to Denmark. Right. Uh, so he does return during the play. So there you go. There you go. <laughs> all right. So. Our uh, show contact information, uh, we would appreciate and enjoy any feedback that anyone wants to send along. You can email us, either at, uh, either text or a voice file, to theghostlightpodcast at gmail.com. And please in, uh, be sure to include the article, The, the Ghostlight Podcast. Our Facebook is Ghostlight Podcast, and you can find us, uh, search for us there. Our Twitter account is at ghostlightpc the website you can find all of the episodes and many other fine podcasts is www.quadruplez.com and our voicemail phone line is 206-202-6378 and with that I will uh, say goodbye to everybody goodbye good night ciao sorry there's a train going by alright goodbye <laughs> <laughs> okay Ben perfect <laughs> Have you been, mute, you've been muting I've the been trains? I've been trying to shoot the trains as they go by, but... Uh... Hamlet, Hamlet, Nemesin, Hamlet, Hamlet, learned his lesson. Hamlet, Hamlet, Yorick's crust, convince him that men, good or bad, at last must come to dust. Meanwhile, aspiring actress Kate McNabb seeks, sneaks off... <sighs> Okay, I'm going to start with the meanwhile. Meanwhile, uh, you are tired. Shush. Meanwhile, aspiring actress Kate McNabb sneaks, sneaks, says sneaks. Mm. Meanwhile, asparagus, asparagus, asparagus. All right, here we go. Oh. <laughs> Sorry. <laughs> Quit laughing, Fox. Fox, why are you wearing jeans? <laughs> I didn't give you jeans. I put pajamas in the bathroom for you, you crazy boy. Go put on your pajamas. <laughs> okay, Fox. So Go. so it's jamas and then read to sister and then read you can sister, then, then you can, can cross play animals. Video games. Yes. Quietly. Is she asleep? If you're oh. serious? Oh, no wonder she's so crabby. All right. All right. Good. <clears throat> Hamlet, Hamlet, something, something. <laughs> Hamlet, Hamlet, something, something. Good night, everyone. Good night, Fox. <laughs> night, night, everybody. Night, night. <laughs> there you go, buddy. Okay. He's off the headphones. <laughs>